the story of how we kind of grew what we grew he along the way was a lot of like the universe will provide for us the universe will provide for us and I'm not sleeping and I'm banging my head up against the wall because I wasn't far along in my journey um I think spiritually as he was and so I would just be you know just freaking out all the time and then now I have the opportunity to look back and it's like I don't know if you've heard that Steve Jobs Stanford address where he talks about connecting the dots well I've had the opportunity now after six years to you know of running our first restaurant together look back and be like every single time we needed something Thing. it it arrived it was there you know maybe it wasn't the iteration of what we thought we needed but it worked and we're still going and we're still learning right. from it and then we just had this opportunity to kind of jump off another cliff with this next project and, and you know and I'm still like my heart's racing I'm still trying to figure out how we're going to raise all the money we need to raise and all of these things but he's just saying the universe will provide and then it keeps providing so you know yeah. at this point I'm just going to have to shut up and believe him because because <laughs> it's but it's so true and then the people too sorry but the people that come into our lives that's the mind-blowing part like the people we've had the opportunity to meet and the like-mindedness and the law of attraction and all of the things that kind of come together exactly when you need them to if you're really following your why and trying to do exactly what you believe you're supposed to be doing the universe continues to support it Welcome back to the Yogi Triathlete Podcast. I'm Jess, I'm your host, and this is the place where we share stories of people looking, finding, and living their purpose, which basically does not put a cap on who we can have on this show. It's so amazing. And sometimes, well, many times that means that the plan goes out the window so that the true plan can move into place. It means living out of the box, against the grain, and taking risks. Today, our guests are Jessica and David Waite, two people who have and are living those qualities as a couple and business owners as they steadfastly build their dream. Their latest project, The Plot Restaurant, a proudly plant-based and zero-waste restaurant, will be bringing a lot of plants to a lot of people's plates. These guys are well-known and respected in the community, and they were put on our radar shortly after moving to Carlsbad. Like with everything, timing needed to align. And now the four of us sit here in the High Vibe studio about to create a meaningful conversation for all of you guys to enjoy. So Jessica and David, thank you guys so much for coming over. Thank, thank you Thanks for, for having, having us. us. We've already <laughs> successfully had a full Insane. podcast before the podcast. And I'm yeah. like, I gotta get this thing going. So why don't we start with the plot, you guys? Like, um, you have an Indiegogo page, uh, which is amazing. So anybody who feels aligned, you guys can go there and at least just watch their video, which really captured me. It's only like a minute or a minute and a half long, but it's just, I love how you just, like, you throw your arms up, Jessica, and you're like, <laughs> this is us building our dream. And there's so many people out there that want to build their dream and have these things knocking on their heart's door. But it's like, where do I, where, where do I start? So tell us about the plot. I, I like to kind of look at the genesis of it as a couple of years ago, um, we were at the California Resource and Recovery Association in Summit in San Diego, and David was a keynote speaker. And I think we both got act, asked to speak, but I'm one of those like mortified of getting on stage. And I'm like, yeah, David will do it. It'll be great. And so he's captivating an audience of like, I don't know how many, 800 people or something up on stage um, and giving this great presentation, doing a whole fish breakdown, talking about total utilization, um, really just saying how showing how we can 
use every single piece of anything we're using and cooking with. So while he's doing that, I get to attend the whole summit for free, and I got the opportunity to listen to a bunch of people who are really passionate across the world making all this change in the zero waste industry. And at that point, we had kind of, you know, we had wrench going, we had wet, we were just kind of starting to ruminate on what we could do next. And I started writing out a business plan for this idea of a zero waste restaurant. And someone else came along and gave us the idea that we should do something that was plant-based. And we started thinking about that. And the conversation, and this was in 2017 in August, I remember. And we really just started having the conversation about what it would look like to build a restaurant that was zero waste and then, you know, plant-based, which actually really lends itself well. Do you have anything to add to that? No, I just, um, you know, sometimes you come in contact with the right people and they kind of leave you with your head spinning. Mm -hmm. And in that case, we had easily a couple hundred of them and it kind of just came together yeah. and, and and meanwhile we you know the amount of vegetables even on our our meat plates at the restaurant was growing and the protein was shrinking and um just kind of it seemed like the next logical step and it was where creatively and for the planet you know and we just kind of I don't know. Once we entertained the idea of doing it, the rocket had launched. It was, yeah. <laughs> there's no turning back. Well, and that's the thing. Like I've been plant-based, um, vegetarian for 30 years, um, went vegan the first time in, oh God, when I was 15. So I don't know how many, you know, that's over 15 years ago, like 22. So um, it actually has just been a huge part of my life for so long. And when I met David, he was, um, he's been a sushi chef forever, but he's also an incredible vegan chef. So when we were first dating, I was still in college. He would make me these like planned vegan lunches for the whole week. And I would be so stoked taking him to school with me. And so he's been cooking vegan for me forever. So it just was a, a really natural kind of transition for us to start making you know at least in our heads as we started to envision a business so the zero waste seed was planted at this conference yeah. right tell our audience what is what does a zero waste mean for a restaurant what, what would that mean well we say zero waste ethos it's really hard i mean really difficult to be completely zero waste um and so we're always really cautious about how we present ourselves you know even at our current restaurants um everything that comes in the door we try, do our best to utilize it at its highest value so you know if we can use a leaf or a stem or you know any component the skin or a rib of a fish we we try to use that before even doing something like composting it you know and then the, the bones go into the broth and then at that point you know we'll compost those components and at wrench in the wet we've been working on this for a long time to try to get to a point where we're as close to zero waste as we can plant-based offers a whole nother kind of you know realm we have less packaging to worry about there's a lot less that could actually would have to end up in the landfill so for us just the idea that anything that comes into our restaurant will not be destined for landfill we'll find the highest you know possible value use for it and then compost whatever's left and now, David, you're not fully vegan or plant-based, correct? Correct. Okay, I've seen you quoted saying like, if you're gonna if you're gonna take a life, like there's a reverence around it. Like yeah. if you're gonna take a life, use the entire thing. Definitely. And when, like, when did that start being such a, a powerful guide for you as a chef and as somebody who obviously is consuming food on a regular basis? I think there's a couple a couple things going on. I mean, number one, my dad grew up in England after a uh, London family and grew up after World War II. So they had rations. 
it was easier to get away with letting a curse word drop at the dinner table than wasting food. We'll mm-hmm. just say that, you know, but it was, it was instilled in me. And I mean, they, they weren't like hippies. You would think they were, but my dad was recycling cans before anybody really did it, you know, like always running behind us and turning light switches off if nobody was in the room and, and stuff like that. So that was the earliest uh, influence. And then the first part of my career was in a Japanese kitchen um, doing sushi and there are other cultures in the world that never really got, you know, got off the path like we did. Somewhere in the U.S., it stopped being a food game and a respect game, and it started being a distribution game. And that's kind of one of the biggest challenges our food system faces now. Being a plant-based restaurant in San Diego, those plants with our growing season don't have to travel too far to the restaurant. And the other is just if you have a heart and you have had a career the length of mine and you have dealt with that much flesh, you know, dead animals. I mean, you start to think about it. If, if you're the one who has to actually see that animal alive and then see that animal dead, you respect it. And it's the same on, on plants. You know, you see how hard people work when you're doing it the right way, whether it's, um, you know, uh, ethically uh, raised or caught animals or um ethically grown vegetables you see how hard those farmers work you don't want to throw away like one ounce of their sweat because they put a lot of love into bringing that to me and i have the utmost respect for that love and you know that kind of interprets to what what we try to do and uh, you know I, i definitely like the native american outlook on things you know i mean it's all we've created this false sense of abundance in, in our society. And, you know, we, we kind of got to get away from that and, you know, start, start looking at every resource as what it is. I mean, it's, it's, it's a resource. It's, it's something that we're lucky to have because there's a lot of people in a lot of places that don't have what we have. Yeah. Oh, no, I just, I listen to what he says and it's funny because I get the question so often of, you know, how is vegan and I'm I'm an ethical vegan I don't use any leather I don't you know any products anything like that and and I really truly like it's for the animals it's for health it's for the planet all across the board right and then I ended up with him and and there's a really good reason for that because I you know David to his core is passionate about what he does and about respecting every little bit he's the least wasteful person I know and you know you can see that in his parents and his upbringing and I have the same you know similar upbringing slightly different but it's um really the respect he gives everything that crosses his cutting board is it's really moving like and it has you know so that that idea of like what he said the native american kind of philosophy of of using every single little bit and being grateful to whatever creature gave its life like that really struck a chord with me early on and I want to do what I can to support that and have as long, you know, since we've been together, I think, trying. <laughs> so it sounds like you have a, a, a higher consciousness. So you're, yeah. you can see the stuff coming into the restaurant and you can see it moving out and you see the process in between. But a lot of us don't have that awareness. Yeah. And I'm sure your vibration is super high because you're, you're, you're present, right? You're, you're seeing everything. What is it like? And we'll get into your relationship yeah. in a bit. But what is yeah. it like to to work in that atmosphere when not everybody has that ability to dial in to the to, to what's what is it they're actually like producing and, and there's more of a distribution. 
even to the set of like a, a sous chef or somebody in your in your kitchen who's just like this is my job this is what i do is there any conflict or, or like how do you resolve that or how do you work with mm. that Reforms. maybe it's not never resolved no, I'm <laughs> no that was a joke I mean, how many times do you count to 10 in one day yeah i know <laughs> count exactly. to 15 um we're really lucky i mean i think um now that now that more people know what we're about and now that we're out there more i think we attract more of the right type of people the backbone of our two existing restaurants are from a restaurant that we opened in 2004 and one is my my brother and you know he obviously was raised the same way i mean you do get it luckily at our place it's kind of lower down the food chain and uh positions that are easily uh swapped out but the thing is is really you don't want to throw somebody away if you can open their mind and see what they're doing and you know just hey why did you do that i honestly want to know why you just did that tell me why like, did you throw that away? Maybe, exactly. maybe maybe you got a good reason you know it's not really about this little thing that only belongs to us it's this responsibility we have to kind of spread the way of thinking so that there's more of an impact than just what walks through our restaurant doors um, and hopefully, you know, people move on and kind of spread that around. I do think in the, the restaurant industry, I mean, there's, there's a lot of people out there that care and the tide is turning in a lot of ways. I mean, everywhere. We're lucky to travel a lot and these little pockets of coolness and enlightenment are growing. And I, I kind of think of them like uh, my freckles when I was a kid, you know, <laughs> eventually they'll meet in the middle and turn into a, what looks like a suntan, <laughs> you know, and, um, and, and you see awesome. it, you see it happening, you know, I mean, if, if you have open eyes and you get around and, you know, I think, and I do think like we all attract each other that, you know, we know to look for it and know where to find it, but it's not, it's not a San Diego thing. It's definitely not a, a David and Jessica thing or, you know, it's just, it's where mankind needs to go for the survival of our species. And a lot, thankfully, a lot of humans are, are smart enough because, you know, I mean, the planet will be fine without us, right? <laughs> you know, it's, it's the survival of the human species that we're talking about if we don't change our ways. And not to sound gloom and doom or anything, it's science is there to support it. Mostly we look at that as opportunities to teach and sometimes there's opportunities to learn, you know, for us. Um, more and more, you know, that, you know, waste in restaurants has never been something that um, has really strongly been supported, whether you're in, in it for ethical reasons or it's just money going in the trash can. It's always a constant state of improvement. And it's, the best part is when you have those moments and you see a light bulb go on in somebody's head. And, you know, if they grow up and become a chef of their own restaurant, those techniques could be the mm -hmm. difference between them staying in business and, and not. You yeah. know? And it's creating a lineage too, because I, I look at the way you were trained and he has this really like, you know, everybody walks in they're like, well, where are the Japanese chefs? Because we're a sushi bar, right? And then I'm like, well, look at that guy, you know, <laughs> the redhead, all the tattoos, he doesn't look Japanese to you, but he has this incredible lineage from his training <laughs> under, under the Japanese chefs. And yeah. really, I think so much of that discipline and that respect really came from that training. And so he has the opportunity now to pass that down through a whole nother generation of chefs. Yeah. And, and across the board too, it's not just the chefs in the restaurant. And that's, you know, when he's saying like, oh, why did you do that? Tell me why, you know, I, there is some of the, you know, oh, a chef would throw something away and we can say, oh no, there's a higher, you know, higher value use for that, higher purpose use. But then also just anybody who walks in our door from the front of the house staff too. 
people, somebody was asking me the other day, like how we have such low turnover. You know, we have the same staff that they've seen and there's people who come and go, but really the core group of our team has been there for a really long time. And they know, the servers know, they could probably go make more money somewhere else because everything's pooled and there's a, you know, there's a more equal distribution between front and the back of the house than a lot of restaurants. And so they could go somewhere else and probably pull in more cash, but they stay. And I think that's a lot of that is just because they believe in what we're doing and they, they have that buy-in and they've had the opportunity to learn and grow with us. And I think that's a really big part of like who we are as a team. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's because you guys believe in what you're doing, right? And it's, it's that alignment. Like you said, you're, you're getting, I found in our own experiences, BJ and I become more true in our voice and really speaking passionate, which is out of the box. It is not the norm. It's against the grain. And I, in doing my research on you guys, um, not just feeling into you energetically and going to your amazing restaurants, but you know, doing some research. David, you were talking about a man that you studied under Hero up in, I think, Santa Barbara, and he said something to you about they're going to try and put you in a box. Yeah. Well, he just, you know, as I was moving on, he's like, look, you know, learn to cook, learn how to do this, learn to, because, you know, the sushi is, it's very focused. And I mean, really, if you're going to be a brain surgeon, you got to go to medical school first. Well, when sushi blew up in the late 90s, early 2000s in California, you know, there was supply and demand. A lot of guys got fast tracked to just being able to stand there and, you know, put fish together and, you know, and and a lot of the really um, manipulating flavors, it happens when you add heat to it, it happens, you know, in the kitchen. So he's like, look, you, you learn this, you learn that, you get just as good at, at cooking as you are at doing this and a world of opportunities will open up for you. And that was kind of, you know, and that was the, the foot in my backside. You're, <laughs> you're out. And I got to track him down. Um, I mean, he's getting up there in age, but last I heard he was doing something big in Dubai, you know, and he was a legend and he's a lot of the reason I was a little different because he was from Hokkaido and up North. I mean, it snows a lot of days out of the year in Hokkaido. There's a lot of pickles, a lot of fermentation. Um, he was a huge no waste influence on me because it was all to him. It was, it was all sacred, you know, and that's kind of anything that we're lucky enough to eat is definitely, definitely sacred. Have you had any pushback for, you know, pushing boundaries, being out of the box? <laughs> well, not everyone. When, <laughs> I had a funny thought. Who was it? Was it um, Sam the Cooking Guy? David, you don't have to serve everything. It was like a sperm dish or something. And he's like, you don't have to, you don't have to cook everything. In some Instagram. Post. He's anyway, a good friend. He's yeah. hilarious. Yeah. You know? And that was more like cute and funny. Oh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. Dude, if you go out there and you try to do anything cool in life, there's always going to be people who don't like you. You know, there's going to be people. I mean, usually they're the, um, you know, they're, they're, they're the ones who are, uh, you know, what, what do you call them? Ar- armchair activists? Yeah, they're behind yeah. the computer, yeah. keyboard people. Yeah. And face the faces, you know, necessarily. I mean, there have been, you know, all sorts of funny pokes and jabs. And one thing I like to do with a lot of the Instagram and the public is if I make a mistake, let it fly. I don't want to show the world that I'm perfect because I'm not, you know, and, and social media allows us to create this, this, avatar right this perfectly sculpted you know um we don't live in a perfect world and i don't really want to live in a perfect world and i definitely don't want to be perfect you know you know i'm very aware that i'm not but uh 
Yeah, there's always going to be the people who who take jabs at you, and I mean, creativity in Japanese food twenty something years ago, when you're this English kid, it definitely wasn't encouraged, you know. And I think some of it, I was putting the horse before the carriage because I needed to focus on making the perfect size rice. I mean, all you can do is take that stuff as a compliment because even if it's something that might be negative towards you, at least you know you made somebody think, and. You know, if you messed with someone else's comfort zone, they're you're doing them a favor because some because you messed with that comfort zone, they now have the chance to start stepping out of it, and usually it plants the seed. That's yeah, totally. So, you just answered my next question, Jessica. Being a vegan, marrying an omnivore, have you and 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 sitting here and saying I'm an ethical vegan, right? Now we know, right? We're in we're in the we're all in that world, right? There can be some pretty militant views around perhaps this marriage not being the right thing. Have you, how do you navigate that? Because I'm sure you've received some pushback oh, or comments. Absolutely. Not as much as you think, though. Because I remember a couple years ago, I was sitting with vegan Danielle, and we had this conversation. It was the first time I'd really talked about it. And I kind of expected something from her other than the warm embrace that she gave me, you know, because she really, she opened up to it a lot more quickly than I thought, and I think a lot of people have. I'm true to my belief system, and my belief system is that we navigate our time on this planet as respectfully as possible. And I also want to make an optimum impact. You know, if we wake up every morning and say, what can we do to change the world? Well, sometimes we have to be a little pragmatic about it. And I'd love to stand on the, you know, go basically protest factory farms all day. You know, I would love to do that. I would love to just say, this is evil and I hate it, you know? But at the same time, I don't know how many people I'm gonna reach doing that. You know, maybe the, the fringe. But at the same time, if I'm sitting here at every single stop along the way from my ramen shop, our ramen shop, to our sushi bar, to our vegan restaurant, and giving people the best possible options for whatever stage of eating they're at, I feel like my impact is gonna be greater. And it is hard because I'm devastated by any cruelty to animals. You know, that is that is my heart right there. But at the same time, like, you know, we need to kind of bind together at whatever stage we are and look at the things that are really bad, you know? I think doing things like protesting sustainable fishermen when there's these massive corporations trawling the bottom of the seashore, that's the wrong move. You know, we all need to kind of kind of focus on what we really want to accomplish. And so that's what I'm trying to do. And yeah, it's hard. And I and I do, I'm sure there's people who listen to me and they're like, well, she's a traitor, you know, because she says she's an ethical vegan, but she's partnered up with, you know, some other things I've been told to divest in the restaurants that I own. We've been told a lot of things, but I still believe that what we're doing is going to create a better impact, a greater impact. And I think it's really limited small-minded thinking when we get really boxed in by these labels that we're vegan, but BJ and I use the word plant-based, right? We'll, we'll interchange them, yeah, which absolutely. is, you know, that is a no-no in so many people's books. And all I say to that is, that is such a limit mm -hmm. because we are more than a label. And if we have athletes who are eating steak the night before a race, great. And they're, and they're also being exposed to um, a whole team of people who are interested, some of them fully vegan, some of them, you know, dabbling in it. They're being exposed to everything. It's about, for, for us, it's about inclusivity. It's Absolutely. not leaving anybody out, meeting people where they're at. Just like you're doing, um, David, in the kitchen. Like, 
well, wait a minute, why'd you throw that out, right? Maybe it's an opportunity for you to learn. And then sometimes it's a step back and take 10 breaths because, you know, like you, Jessica, you want to get on the mountaintop and you just want to scream, right? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. And it, it questions, the 10 breaths is so great because it questions our, our expectations and our attachment to that box. Mm-hmm. Like I'm a plant-based uh, Ironman athlete and, and I try to, whatever conversation I'm having with my athlete and they're just not getting it, I can feel that, that energy excite me inside and it just it, it shows me my attachment to this is the way it, it needs to be done when it's not there's plenty of ways for things to be done if as long as we're getting to the end everybody's getting to the end in the same manner or in some some manner that gets us there but it's a it's a it's an education on me right and i'm sure the same way like what can i learn from this conversation what can i learn because if i'm feeling that attachment then i'm too far in like i'm too attached to this like there's got to be something else that i can pull in that will help me help them later on yeah and it's people that want to push boundaries and and really be leaders we got to be open we got to be willing to get past these words that say i'm a certain way for sure and i remember just a few weeks ago you were working with an athlete who was getting ready to do a race and they were talking about this person's pre-race nutrition and it included chicken and it included eggs and it included all these things that you know are not vegan and bj was just like great let's just let the most important thing is let's see how it works let's see how it works for you you know your body we were talking before we put the microphones on like your body is this amazing feedback machine a hundred percent so where do you feel like we're, we're talking about eating fish we're talking about being vegan and all of this stuff but where does body awareness land in all of this Dude, that's that's everything i think you know i'm definitely not plant-based and i probably never at any point would use the b word to describe myself but like you know based off of what my body tells me i'm pretty much of I'm going to use the B word. I'm pretty much a vegan that garnishes their veggies <laughs> with meat, you know, every now and then. But like, if you know, you can ask Jess, I mean, for me to work the shifts I need to work, there's, there's definitely no, you know, huge portions of, of meat going down. And most nights of the week I, I eat completely plant-based, you know, um, listening to our bodies is the best thing we can do. I mean, you know, I think, this time in this country, we've got so many voices telling us how to think, you know, listen to your own voice because it's there. You tune out all that other stuff and you pay attention to what your body's telling you. And our body tells us all sorts of stuff, but just the modern times that, you know, where we're at in society and all the distractions kind of try to pull you away from that. I mean, even as, you know, somebody who's not entirely plant-based, my body tells me to eat vegetables. My body tells me I like vegetables and my body tells me that, you know, if I need to power through an 18 hour day when there's a bunch of caterings, you know, not, I don't really eat steak much anymore at all, but you know, definitely don't do it when you need your body to react mm-hmm. in a good way. Cause your, your body's going to react different. And I think even the most hardcore meat eater is going to know that you eat a fat steak. You're going to be pretty slow the next day. How would someone make that connection? Or how did you do it? How do you feel like yeah. you increased that body awareness? Because you're so you're tune. so in tune. And the <laughs> thing about you too, um, both of you, you're in the truth. You're not trying to hide from anything. 
And I think that we want to, we, you know, at our core, we are compassionate, loving beings. Nobody wants to murder something for their plate, right? Definitely. So, but you are open, like we've all seen it. And, and for some of us, it's, you know, it has directed us towards a plant-based diet. And for some of us, it's just awakened us to, you know, being conscious about what we put in our body. So how do you feel like you've developed that body awareness, which seems to be so acute? That's a... Pushing yourself to extremes. I can answer that for him because I watch him do it. I mean, now you answer, but that's what I, I, I see from you. I guess yeah, so I'm so glad I, you I did guess, that because yeah, I, I just yeah. interrupted BJ and I'm yeah. like sitting here going, I just totally took his question away. No, so I'm so glad you're like answering for him. because you are in each other's <laughs> heads yeah. so much. But I see you do that all the time. You push yourself harder than any person might actually push themselves. And then and then you have to be really aware of what you need to keep going. Pushing, physic, pushing physically? I would say like, physically and mentally, emotionally, as far as the what he takes on with so like a long shift so yeah, if we're talking like, like 20 hours or you know multiple events a day or pushing yourself to do a video and <laughs> anyway you go you go ahead and talk oh. but it, it really I mean you see it and you see him have to just kind of hunker down again and go what do I need to get past that next you know bridge or yeah I mean flying 900 miles to do something in one city and then flying 900 miles back racing up from the airport to do another thing I mean, it's definitely a high-stress environment and as more and more people see what we're doing and as, as we kind of become advocates for a number of different causes, we want to do those causes as much justice as possible and not screw everything up. At the same time, there's so many good causes, it's hard to say no to any of them. So we end up saying yes to a lot. So I think it goes beyond, you know, definitely a long shift. You know, that stuff, as you get older and older, you got to take better care of yourself to be able to pull off even a basic restaurant shift. But then there's the business side of it and managing human beings i mean that's the best and the worst part of this business it's humans i mean they they make or break you and the right humans take you wherever you want to go the wrong humans can take you down you know so um, in that stress in that stress because i think this is i think this is the moment that we we hear a lot about the, it's the stress and the stress of travel the stress of work stress of expectations people fall back on what's comfortable. So in that decision of a 900 mile flight, they're stressed. So they're going to, they're going to resort to uh, something at the airport. So McDonald's oh, yeah. or something, they're going to make that choice, right? When the higher good, yeah. right? Oh, is yeah. okay. Well, I've got a 900 mile flight. I want to be aware when I'm at this event and then I've also got to fly back and then I need to do this too. So what is in the high, so the stress, is the agitator yeah and there's um you know right now it's good to, there's good stress and bad stress and um we're very appreciative of our stress because it's all good things you know and it, it is good you know because like stress isn't just bad stress is us pushing ourselves in a lot of cases and that's kind of i mean collectively we all we all do in different ways um but yeah i mean during times of stress, that 99 cent heart attack definitely looks a lot better, you know, <laughs> not going to lie. But, um, I mean, it's thankfully airport food's gotten a lot better, you know, <laughs> it's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It has. There's a lot of better options out there than there I mean, used to be. I love, uh, you know, remember Saffron? It, it's still the Mission Hills, uh, Sume is the chef. She was doing stuff with plants i mean they it's not a vegan restaurant but just she's like a plant whisperer longtime san diego chef um there's a saffron 
in San Diego airport. So that's like our, you know, and you know what? I don't mind being that guy on the plane. You know, the guy, the, the guy, the, 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 the guy, the guy that's got the thing that smells really good that everybody else wants while they're getting their like cheese box or whatever, you know, it's, uh, you know, little, little things like that. Pre-planning definitely helps. Yeah. Like setting yourself up for success. And I think that gets better as you have failed in the past. Mm-hmm. Right, like bonk, bonked on a workout if you're an athlete, or you guys are in the hustle, right? We we totally understand the hustle. You're doing sometimes you're like, oh my god, how am I gonna, how am I gonna do this next? Like, are you kidding me? I'm on a plane and now I've got to do this and I'm gonna be presenting and yeah. you know whatever it may be. How do you guys like ground in? Well, I mean, grounding in, trying to get back to meditating, trying to get back to yoga, trying to do all the things that um, we know, because we know it's good for us. Like he says, I mean, we know that the plants are going to make us feel better. I know that the meditation is going to make us feel better. Um, Getting out, having a talk, sitting down for five minutes and talking about the things that are important to us. There's been times where him and I have like actively said, like, let's sit down, like, let's make a list of where our priorities are before we go into this meeting, because we need to be grounded, you know, and that really helps. Um, You know, very recently I had kind of a funny experience where, I was just pushing myself to the limit and and you can tell we have a little cold right now it finally caught up but I was I was pushing harder and harder and we both have a long history of drug and alcohol abuse and we both stopped a long time ago and we have you know decades decades and decade of of sobriety but there was a moment a month or so ago where I was like I can't take anymore I am at 75% when I need to be at 100% and then my mind you know that addict brain goes well what about drugs and I said no I'm gonna learn more about adaptogens so I call up our marketing girl who also knows a lot about nutrition and I'm like tell me about mushrooms I need something and so she gets me on a whole regimen of these different mushroom options for different times and moods and not magic mushrooms not magic no not magic (laughs) even though i'm fully supportive of using psilocybin for you know depression and all the things that all this research is supporting now thank god people are working on that but at the same time no i'm talking about lion's mane and you know some other options but really just getting to the point where you know when you're at your breaking there's healthy options and there's unhealthy options and as much as a little like you know adderall or something else might have given me a quick fix i know where that would have taken me i know where it would have taken my mood and it's not the kind of person i want to be so so I started taking adaptogens and, you know, and it started taking me back toward hundred percent where I felt like I needed to be. So I think we all need to just be aware of like when, you know, knowing your body well enough to know I'm just, I'm not there. Like I don't feel personally that I'm, I'm up to standard. Okay. Well, what do I need to do? Do I need to slow down? Do I need to sleep more? Do I need to meditate? Am I eating too many, you know, processed foods and is it just plants I'm craving? And I think we, once we start asking ourselves those questions, we can start to mitigate all of these stressors. Yeah. And uh, and kind of answer your earlier question that I skated around. That's a that's a big part of it for me. I mean, I'm not, um, you know, I mean, religion and politics are two things you don't talk about. I'm not really personally organized. Religion has never been my thing. There's definitely aspects of Eastern religions and and pra- practices really more in a religion, you know, that I have taken over the years. A lot of it, getting sober was where I really had to start, like you know, resetting my brain. Because that stuff was worse. Who knows? There's arguments that maybe it opened my mind to some things, and you know, and I'm sure that LSD helped with your cooking skills. (laughs) (laughs) You know, not not gonna advocate anything or not add. You know, like this neutral ground. And somebody told me early on, they're like, "Look, prayer and prayer doesn't have to be religious prayer. It's personal for everybody, and everybody finds their own thing, and everything. Everybody, and it's probably at the end of the day the same thing. You know, I just." 
call it the universe, you know, but there is something taking care of us, whether it's internal, external, and, you know, prayers, asking the questions, meditations, where you get the answers, you know, even if it's five minutes, you know, sometimes it's me stepping outside the kitchen, breathing in and breathing out real deeply and just kind of tuning everything out and seeing what pops into my head. And usually that's the best stuff that you, especially on the tough parts of the path, you know, that's the best stuff that you'll ever get. And it's got to come from somewhere because there's wisdom to it, you know? And it, it's coming from inside. Yeah. Right? You're, you're yeah. picking out what's already inside of you. Dude, I had a chef from uh, Thailand originally. Amazing, amazing human being and amazing chef. Um, not going to mention by name, but he runs a fairly large property in San Diego. Like huge, massive, something that would make my brain explode. Um, but he's looking at me, and this is back when I probably did some unhealthy stuff and I happened to have an energy drink in my hand, you know, and he looks at me and looks at the can and kind of gave me that look like, I know what you're doing. You know, I know what, what's really going on. And he said, Hey man, you know, and he points at his heart. He's all real energy comes from here. And he walked away. I was like, <laughs> dude, that stayed with that. me like 20 something years, you know? Cause there is something out there that's, that's watching out for us. Like the universe has our back. Yeah. It's got our freaking back. And as entrepreneurs, We've been in some like terrifying moments and you guys are multiple time restaurant owners and I'm assuming you felt the ebb and flow of being business owners and how, how do you keep coming back to that belief, that foundation that, you know, you're being taken care of, that there is, there is an energy out there that wants you to succeed? I think through positive reinforcement over the years and even when you don't, you know, even when you don't succeed, there's comfort in knowing that there's something there to catch you. Or, you know, if you don't succeed at the same thing multiple times, that's something trying to teach you something. Sometimes I have a full brain. Sometimes I have half a brain. These are those half brain moments, but you're banging your head up against the same wall. It's like, okay, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Wait, there's got to be a lesson here. Slow down, okay. step aside and just, you know, and it's especially, I think if you're doing the right thing and anybody who is doing the right thing, you know, should have that comfort that somehow you'll be taken care of. The road isn't always going to be easy. I think intentionally set up so that it's not easy so that you can learn those lessons. And when you get to the end of the road, you're the best possible version of whatever it is you're trying to be. Easy doesn't always promote growth. Usually it doesn't promote any growth, you know? That's not going to get us anywhere. So the, the meditation and the yoga and the calming is not a guarantee that you're going to have this fruitful, easy, not simple life. Would it, right? <laughs> Just, it, yeah. It, it's, but, it's, yeah. Go ahead. But, it's, well, it's something that gives back a little bit too. And like you said, waiting for yeah. the answers. And you know, I think the, the story of how we kind of grew what we grew, he along the way was a lot of like, the universe will provide for us. The universe will provide for us. And I'm not sleeping and I'm banging my head up against the wall because I wasn't far along in my journey, um, I think spiritually as he was. And so I would just be, you know, just freaking out all the time. And then now I have the opportunity to look back and it's like, I don't know if you've heard that Steve Jobs Stanford address where he talks about connecting the dots. Well, I've had the opportunity now after six years to, you know, of running our first restaurant together, look back and be like, every single time we needed something. Thing. it it arrived it was there you know maybe it wasn't the iteration of what we thought we needed 
but it worked and we're still going and we're still learning right. from it. And then we just had this opportunity to kind of jump off another cliff with this next project. And, and you know, and I'm still like, my heart's racing and I'm still trying to figure out how we're going to raise all the money we need to raise and all of these things. But he's just saying the universe will provide and then it keeps providing. So, you know, yeah. at this point I'm just going to have to shut up and believe him because <laughs> it's, but it's so true. Oh. And then the people too, sorry, but the people that come into our lives, that's the mind blowing part. Like, the people we've had the opportunity to meet and the like-mindedness and the law of attraction and all of the things that kind of come together exactly when you need them to, if you're really following your why and trying to do exactly what you believe you're supposed to be doing, the universe continues to support it. Yeah. That's one of the biggest yeah. rewards is the people, the relationships, oh, yeah, yeah. you know, and you know, I mean, obviously our, our end game is, uh, trying to make a positive impact that, you know, hopefully more people will build on and, you know, get this place back to what it what it should be and leave it a little better than we found it. Well, I had but, mentioned when I just did that little intro that, you know, we were trusting that timing would align. Like, you guys have been on our radar. And then I saw, you know, the plot came into our awareness. And then um, the Indiegogo page came into our awareness. And one day I, I made a donation and I bought one of your shirts and I thought, what else can we do? And I was yeah. like, oh, my God. Uh, like, duh, get them on the show. Like yeah. we have an international audience. And so if somebody in Australia on the Gold Coast is listening to your podcast, which they are, and they say, geez, I really hope those guys are a huge success, that helps. Yeah. Right? Whether they make a donation, whether it's a positive Just thought, their whether energy, absolutely. Yes. And the awareness building around this cause, because this restaurant, it's not a restaurant. We would not be doing this if we just cared about money. That is, I mean, there are so many better ways to make money than the restaurant industry, <laughs> believe me. But the cool thing is, is this is about a kind of a social movement and people coming together and saying, we do not want to be wasteful. We want to be healthy. We want to focus on something that's, you know, it's not about making processed products or trying to be something we're not. It's about making really, really good food as healthy as we possibly can. I mean, just to like throw out one thing that I, I love about some of the stuff that we're doing, you know, I was talking about mushrooms and adaptogens and we've been working with, um, I almost said magic mushrooms, mindful mushrooms, which is an awesome local company, um, Evo who grows, who grows these mushrooms. And we started sourcing from him and then David started creating this imitation, imitation crab, right? And he started using, <laughs> well, it was originally the bases, right? Of the mushrooms, but yeah, using yeah. different mushroom components to create this product. And now he's got this, you know, this epic, epic product that's so delicious and it came from a zero waste mindset using plants and he's using lion's mane to create that you know something that is you know it tastes you put it in the sushi roll you're just eating like a mushroom salad in a roll that tastes like imitation well it tastes better than imitation crab but it's the whole idea behind creating a more healthful product you know that's what we're trying to do at every step as we readdress you know what food should be like that we're serving how is the menu creation, obviously fully plant-based as opposed to, and we keep alluding to these two restaurants that you guys uh -huh. own. You own Wrench and Rodent, which is, why don't you guys describe these two that you own, and then I want to get back to my question. Um, anarchy and, no. Wrench <laughs> <laughs> is just David on a plate. It's like, it's all of the local stuff we can pull in as, you know, responsibly caught and harvested and, and produced as possible, really relationship-based, so from the fishermen to the farmers. Um, and it's a, uh, mainly a sushi mainly restaurant. Mainly sushi, yep. but the, what it's really known for is kind of the, the preparations of, of 
healthy, you know, fish, a lot of times raw, of, um, of plants, of really beautiful sauces. He's kind of a sauce, you know, magician or mad scientist. All he makes incredible sauce. sauces. Yeah. A yeah, lot of the absolutely. sauces are made with like offcuts of vegetables and whatever is local and whatever he needs, you know, maybe if it's, if it's starting to turn, then he can use that in a sauce or a fermentation or a pickle. And so a lot, and you talked about your Hokkaido roots from through your training, a lot of that, just kind of taking whatever is really bountiful at the time and kind of producing it and, you know, making a plate out of it. And that's Wrench and Rodent in a nutshell. I mean, there's the basic rolls on it and there's some hot appetizers and things. And there's, there's vegan stuff and you guys label the menu so, yeah. so clearly. Yeah, absolutely. There's a separate vegan menu at Wrench. And um, and then the wet noodle was created when we had Wrench. The space next to it opened up. We really wanted to keep the whole building and, you know, and grow a little bit. So we had the opportunity to take on this. And we didn't know anything about ramen at all. And, and we, you know, at that point, had we even been to Japan yet? I don't even, you know, you had no, your. We went to yeah, Japan afterwards. I, I missed so many opportunities to get, because there was always another kid on the way or yeah. another restaurant, you know. And so the wet noodle was really, for me, the, oh, I think for both of us, the focus was to take what we had at Wrench and continue that. Um, you know, that pattern of using total utilization and whatever came up. So if we had, you know, bones from a fish, because we get all of our, most of our fish in whole, then we take that bones, those those other offcuts, and create the broths and create other components. And you can probably speak a little bit more to that. Yeah, so wet noodles kind of an anarchy as a kaya. When, you know, it, it was either take the whole building or find another spot. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wrench is small, it's quirky. And wrench isn't scalable. It's never built to be scalable. It you know, I mean, there may someday be wrenches in other cities. I think a lot of my focus is going to be more towards the plot. Um, but I didn't want to make wrench too big. And I was having nightmares about making this giant wrench. I mean, it would be like watching your favorite band play at like the Casbah or Jack Murphy Stadium, you know, like it, it just, you know, it, it something gets lost. Um, but because of all of that, you know, there was long waits to get in the wrench so we figured we'd do a counter service a quicker version um of the wrench you know still kind of have some of the wrench food available and um just you know just really fun healthy kind of more family you know it's hard to get a, a family into the wrench on a friday night i mean we encourage it it's just it's a packed, tight little, you know, almost like a city restaurant. So the noodle was just a, a quicker version. If people were waiting for the wrench, they could get a snack at the noodle. And it allowed me to do a bunch of fun little small plates, which are the coolest things to highlight a lot of the stuff we do. Like the banana peeled tacos, mm-hmm. which yes. I know is one of your famous things. We love it. One of our favorite things is being is getting acupuncture across the street at Ocean Acupuncture. And then we go, we always say, now let's go across the street to the wet noodle and get our medicine. The hangry I, We get the hangry vegans. Okay, I named that after myself. Um, I'm consistent. Don't, you don't need to comment on that. But yeah, I'm, I'm a hangry vegan. Um, but no, I think, I think that was really the idea behind the wet noodle. And that was something I was really excited about is that because you go into these cities and there's these great counter service restaurants where you can just go up and get a fast meal and I'm not always a huge fan of sitting down and having that full service and at Wrench we're you know we're very service oriented we've got the omakase which is the kind of you know as the chef at the chef's whim where people can just kind of get fed by the chef and we're really known for that but that's more of an kind of intense dining experience whereas I wanted an option at the wet noodle where you can just get locally sourced healthy food without having to feel like you have to get out of your sweatpants so not that you have to get out of your sweatpants it's a you know it's at least a hour and a half two hour dining commitment because some of those omakases can be 
you know, the, the, the record is like 36 courses, Whoa. you know, yeah, right. I mean, yeah. there's no way to humanly feed somebody 36 courses. And, you know, when everyone's working <laughs> twice as hard for half the money in everyday life, you know, mm-hmm. so you'll get more like, you know, there, there's the, the noodle bar at, at wet noodle. You'll, you'll see somebody getting off work, coming in and having a quick bowl. Mm-hmm. And a, a fun, um, fun little fact is, um, you know, in a world where a lot of mainstream people want their their fatty pork broth ramen, the hangry vegan is neck and neck for the number one selling ramen at the wet noodle. Isn't that great? It's, it's so awesome. I, like, it, it tastes that. like medicine it, to I, me. Yeah. And watching, and it, it gets me so excited because, like, I mean, we know how people in California love love sushi. I mean, it's it's become in in twenty short years. You know, less than the time that, less than the length of my career, we've seen it shift into, you know, average Californian families eat sushi at least once a week in one form. You know, it, it is a cornerstone of, of our diet. Well, we've had events side by side with the plot and then, you know, the ranch and the wet noodle. We always get a good amount of attention at these events, but I mean, I've seen the plot just, I mean, literally kick the other two restaurants ass. You yeah, know, because it's we, been we had amazing. One, we had real tuna and one, we had this tuna that we made um, out of a butternut squash. Uh, and we fermented red cabbage juice for the color, but then fermented it with seaweed broth to give it a little bit of an ocean flavor. And, and the vegan tuna won. Yeah, it was and, incredible. And people were flocking for it. But and it's, it's, it's really exciting. It's like you have that, you know, what, most people know what tuna tastes like. They know what bacon tastes like. I mean, you know, I mean, whether, it, you know, bacon tastes pretty good to most people, but you know you're eating bacon, you know what it's going to taste like. You have something like that, you know, the vegetables have so much opportunity to steal the show because, I mean, there's, we know how good veggies are, but most of the population, it's still a side dish. And usually it's a side dish that doesn't get the love it deserves at a lot of, you know, once you get away from the bigger cities, right? So with those veggies, there's no expectation from most people. So it really has the opportunity to be the sucker punch of the night, watching people wrap <laughs> trying their to figure head it out. Like, oh, dude, that's one of my favorite. It's you know. really exciting, and that's another thing too, because I think right now when we're looking at being in restaurants or plant-based restaurants, um, everybody just kind of expects the same thing that's happening right now, which is a lot of kind of imitation meat products and things like that, and and which is great. I will go through plant power and I will eat one of those burgers and just put that down and it's delicious. But, um, it, at the same time, like the opportunity now to start kind of, because we have this base, people are already getting excited about plant-based restaurants, you know, and willing to try them. And now we can take it to another level where we're just really showing a huge amount of reverence to those vegetables and and in ways that are going to get the omnivores excited, you know, and that's one thing like, you know, we'll do everything from like a beautiful agua chili dish with like all of the veggies and the mushrooms and it's just a really like strong plant-based dish and then we'll do something like sloppy joes with and you know instead of a fake meat he's using mushroom stems and walnuts and making this really but you won't know and you know a lot of people don't even notice um a lot of meat meat eaters a lot of meat eaters so that's 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 also a really cool side note right so we have these meat-centric restaurants and to really strengthen the cause and get things moving in the right direction we have to appeal to everybody the vegan population is growing. The train is not going to stop. You know, it's just gathering more and more <laughs> steam. But like, there's so many people in between that you know we could get get them just to eat more veggies and still have a huge impact. So we're trying to broaden the appeal <coughs> to them. 
So the testing for the plot actually started a few years ago at rent because you know you can get a vegan omakase too if somebody wants to come in and have veggies done 16 different ways and you know and, and we have a lot the challenge with us you know we have a lot of fun with that but at the wrench we've pulled back all unnecessary meat products or um animal products you know so a cream a cream sauce on a plate isn't it's vegan cream but do you even say that on the menu, or is it just... It's just, he just well, makes it, just, it just goes just out. We don't tell anyone. Yeah, yeah. You know. I mean, if they um, ask, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're not, yeah. we're not, yeah. yeah, we're definitely not hiding right. it. Yeah. And um, a lot of times people will be like, what's up with this cream, you know? this is It's like, well, because it's not real cream. You know, and then as, um, you know, I mean, there's so much poison in the food in this country, chemicals, and, you know, people, allergies, I've never seen it that bad. And, you know, it's you got to pay attention to it because there's something in food that's making people sick. So there's a lot of dairy allergies and, you know, a lot of times it kind of works to um, leave more doors open as far as <laughs> what a larger number of the population can eat. So the final test for the plot is if it can pass, you know, if, if, if the people who aren't entirely plant-based can taste it. And, and then, because the idea is that not through telling people what to do, just through showing a better option. Yeah. As most people, given an option, I mean, if you had some sort of vegan bacon that was something that's good for you and it tasted as good as most people think bacon tastes, most people are pretty reasonable. They'd be like, yeah, I'd rather not kill something. But you got to deliver, you know? So that's kind of like been the challenge and what we're trying to work towards because... You know, we can kind of lighten up the load on the animal proteins by just like, here's a better option. And most people will be attracted to that. We hope. Yeah. So I think you've you've kind of, you've answered the question I was originally going to ask was which is really like what is this new menu pulling out of you? Like, do you feel like you're hitting a, a higher level of creativity now that you that you're just working with veggies for for the plot, like plant based foods? Definitely. I mean, for one, it's something new. You know, there's uh, into my third decade of, of doing, you know, uh, animal protein-based food. So for one, just stepping outside of my comfort zone and doing something different is huge. Every every day I learn something new, still. And, you know, I will spend my whole life doing this. I don't see myself doing anything else at this point. And there will still be more stuff at the end of the game that I don't know than I do know. And that doesn't fit the typical system where you go to college, you get a diploma, you're done, then you move into the work, you know, like it's ever evolving, you know, well, that's you never limiting. stop learning. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's the, and that beginner's it's, the, and it's the beginner's mindset. You're oh, you don't always want to be a beginner. You always want to be learning. Yeah. And back to your point about being perfect. And, you're not perfect. And that's, and, and who wants to be perfect anyway, you know, but it, you know, it, it takes some people a while to get that. And I mean, this is, Stepping into something entirely new and different is like, it, it, it's driving that point home. And it's just uh, turned me back into a sponge, you know. I'm, I'm wanting to soak up, learn as much new stuff as I can. I mean, it definitely takes the limits. The differences and the variance and the, the sheer numbers of flavors that exist in the plant world is mind-blowing. You know, I mean, you, and when you, you take... The meats, you know, I mean, not knocking it, but, you know, most Americans eat four different types of fish, and that's it, four different types of, of animals. And, you know, I mean, 
there's a lot you can do with that. There's different cuts of those different animals, but it's still a finite number, different techniques, different treatments, you know, still finite. You look at the combinations in the vegetable wor world. I mean, we haven't discovered the end of it. So until we do, <laughs> that's, gonna be that's, that's infinite, yeah. you know, that's... I mean, you just compare those two and it like, you know, you say it out loud and then just let it sink in for a little bit. And then like a month passes and it's still sinking in, you know, like for me, a couple of years, it's still sinking in. So it, the excitement that comes from that simple statement. So Jessica, it seems like, well, plant-based restaurant, like, of course, that must be your dream. Like, that's amazing. How easy. How is the plot pushing you out of your comfort zone? I think... Being an entrepreneur in general pushed me out of my comfort zone. I am a rule follower and I like black and white lines and I loved school because school was safe. You know, I did exactly what I knew I needed to do and I got good grades and that was really safe and that's where he found me and I wanted to stay there forever and he kind of pulled me exactly and he, but I've always been incredibly passionate and I've always had that feeling that I wasn't doing what I was meant to be doing. I needed to kind of push further and, and get to a point where I could start to make a real difference, not because I'm delusional that I am the person who should make the difference just because I'm here and I want to and I feel like that's what I need to do on my path and so I think we, when we met I was really at this weird kind of junction of you know I'd been pre-health I was studying pre-med I was doing neurophysiology research I was kind of going okay where do I go I'd interned in hospitals I wanted to make a difference in healthcare, but I didn't see medicine as a way of doing it and this idea of following what I'd already always been passionate about which is nutrition and finding a new kind of niche for that and kind of combining everything I believed in, he gave me that opportunity when we started to build this together. And so all of the belief stuff, the why stuff is really easy for me. But when it comes to the actual building and the taking the new risks and learning the new things, I went back and got my MBA at Pepperdine, which was a great experience, but I didn't learn how to raise money for a project. You know, I didn't learn how to go out and do this. And, and I was terrified when, you know, when we started building the plot, one good friend who was, I mean, incredibly generous to fund what we needed for a medium-sized build-out of a relatively turnkey restaurant. And we were looking pretty, and we started looking for different locations, and, and we had a couple good options, but then this opportunity to build in our hometown in this incredible old building with all of these amazing different like features popped up and it was going to be more than twice what we had in the bank and it was just one of those things where we looked at each other and said yes we absolutely have to do this space mm -hmm. it gave us an opportunity to, to build out an event space in an urban garden right in the middle of south oceanside it gave us the opportunity to have a huge commissary kitchen so that we can start distributing to future plot locations do catering grab and go all of the things we wanted to do out of this space and it's going to be an incredible hub for people omnivore and vegan alike you know breakfast lunch and dinner love the space perfect location really expensive so all of a sudden you know I this is three months ago I'm frozen like I do not I was not dealing with it well and he's looking at me he's like the universe is gonna take care of us and I'm like crap, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know how to raise money. So I went back to school for it in the sense that I just started talking to people and making friends and, and finding people who said, you know, I'm not going to invest in your restaurant, but I will have a cup of coffee with you or I will have a conversation with you. And I started collecting breadcrumbs or whatever you want to say and starting to get, you know, one person gives you 
three more names and you just start to learn from all of these people who are generous enough to have a conversation. And so, you know, as we start to progress, we're doing better, we're raising the funds we need to. And I'm also starting to get this understanding that this is something I can do because I'm going to have to continue if we want to grow this. Because, you know, aside from, you know, David and Chris, our other partner, you know, I'm a really good person to be having these conversations with these people because I'm so passionate. It's so much of a representative of like who I am. So I think that, you know, just that learning curve has been really scary, but empowering at the same time. So, yeah. Because you can, you can stick to that. I think you can stick to that story of uh-huh. I, it needs to be black and white and you can stay there and you uh-huh. can continue to struggle. Yeah. Or you can you can look the other way and just follow the next breadcrumb. Reach out. Yeah. Like yeah. you're resourceful, right? You you've gotten this far. Yeah. And to David's point, like yeah, the universe is gonna take care of you. You're good mm-hmm. people. You keep putting that energy out there. Do you still find times where you're reverting back to? Oh, completely. It's been a, just doesn't make sense. A yo-yo for me, and um, you know, and he's been a rock through all of it. And and I think the the thing is, is I know we're scrappy enough to build a restaurant from scratch. But we're what we're trying to do this is, with this is to scale it, you know, relatively compared to wrench a lot more quickly. Like you know, fast but firm footed. I think he said the other day, and yeah. I kind of liked that. But to do that, we need more funds than what you know the seven hundred dollars we started wrench with or whatever it was when we started. You know. Piecing yeah. things together with garage sales and our, you know, home furniture. Um, so, so I think that transition has just been something new, and that tendency to be—we talked about a little about this before we started today—but that that fear of the unknown. You know, I think we're we're instinctively held back by that fear. So, just like I've been saying a lot lately, just jumping off cliffs. Yeah, it's scary trusting that there's something you can't see underneath there waiting to catch you. But it's—I think it's the best way to really push forward and accomplish what we want to accomplish. And it's funny how it works, you know, like, you know, the universe, you need something, money, capital, you know, the universe isn't going to like, you know, have a million dollar check show up in the mailbox, <laughs> but the universe has provided teachers for Jess mm-hmm. every step of the way. Mm-hmm. Oh, I've been Friends have come so out of the world, you, you know, like for the people that so, I've had the opportunity and it's to really speak with. Cool because if that stuff came easy, nothing to be learned mm-hmm. and you won't be able to repeat it, you know, but teaching you know it's kind of and it's been an ability for Jess to test her abilities and get confidence in those abilities that confidence makes you know usually makes you want to learn more and keep practicing and all of a sudden you're out of this shell and Mm-hmm. It's been a, it's been really cool to watch, and you're building community through it too, by oh, all absolutely. these people yeah. reaching out and just giving yeah. you little bits of information. So it continues with your vision. And I know all yeah. of our athletes that are coming to our team camp in February are probably like, we better be going to the, the plot. Oh, we will. We better be going <laughs> in February. Absolutely. Well, and and I think, um, oh, I just totally lost my train of thought. Um, yeah, well, one thing you were saying is that whole, like, give a man a fish, he'll be fed for a day, teach yeah. him how to fish. Well, the universe is kind of doing for that for us along the way, I think. Um, but yeah, no, it's just, it's been an incredible journey, and and it's it's fun. And oh, I was thinking about the crowd raise, too, because I never really thought crowd raising, like, five people told me you should do a crowd raise. And I was like, for a restaurant? That's just weird. And then I looked, and in, in England, people are doing it, and they're raising hundreds of thousands or pounds, you know, for um, for the restaurants. But here, it's just not as normal. And so, I was like, this is kind of weird. Okay, I got over my feeling of being, you know, tacky or asking for money or feeling like it conflicted with my other advocacy or whatever it was. And we just did it. And we found that it was a really great opportunity to tell people our story. And so, you know, maybe they're not going to contribute funds 
but they're going to get excited and passionate about something else or they're going to someday come seek us out and eat or they're going to invite us to be on their podcast. You know, who knows? <laughs> but it, it's like this opportunity to just really spread our story and then, you know, a lot of people have reached out and offered support and resources in different ways as we've kind of taken this journey. So it was just this opportunity to say to the universe, like, hey, yeah, we need help. You know, we're two people and we can do a lot, but to really have the impact we want to have, we need more help. And we're almost crowdsourcing good energy at this point. Yeah, I think one of the biggest things I've learned from our own experience, and in essence, I think it's very similar to anyone who's going to follow their heart and take risks, is that everything is currency. We think just money is currency, but everything is currency. All the people that I sat down with, you know, and 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 had conversations with all the giving, the giving, the giving. And I think the crowdsourcing is amazing because it gives people a platform to support. It gives people a platform to be in service. So that said, how do people, what's the best way for people to follow you guys and how can they support you? Following um, our Instagram uh, at theplotrestaurant.com. Teasing us I know, all. I know. Constantly. I feel kind of mean sometimes. It's okay. It's good. We're going to open soon, I promise. And then... Um, Support our Indiegogo campaign, I think, is going for another maybe 15 days. So I don't know when we're going live with this. But regardless, just the, the good energy, the follow on Instagram, saying hi, it's I mean, whatever it is, just just eat some more plants, you know, just get, yeah. <laughs> share the joy. Yep. If, you're all, if you're already in tune, keep eating plants. You keep and eating if plants. If you're not, eat more plants. Yeah. I love it. You guys, thank you so much yeah. for coming over here. Timing just feels so perfect. And I'm really, really grateful to be connected with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Awesome.